Well, hi, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, or maybe you came in late, my name's Todd, and I'm the lead pastor. I'm really excited that you're here today as uh, we are in week five of our series called Follow Me. And uh, we are in this series primarily to discover what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, we began the series on Easter, and uh, kind of the premise of the whole series is the fact that the cost to become a follower of Jesus Christ is nothing. Uh, but to be a follower and to grow in our journey with Jesus, to continue in that, uh, is going to cost us. And in fact, it's going to cost us quite a bit. And Jesus told his disciples uh, that they were to drop whatever they were doing and follow him. And we see examples of that all throughout scripture. And we've talked about different things, different aspects of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if uh, you haven't been here over the past few weeks, go back to our podcast. It's available through the app or online. And uh, listen, there are my glasses. I have to have those for reading now that I'm over 40. And uh, I don't want to break them. Uh, anyway, I want to encourage you to do that and uh, just kind of get caught up in that sort of thing. It's been a good series. I know it's been a good series for me personally. Uh, as I've been preparing for, very challenging. And so today is a little bit of a different day. Uh, I'm going to teach for the first uh, few minutes here this morning, and then I've asked somebody to join me um, who's going to help us apply uh, the teaching uh, on worship uh, to our lives. And so today we're going to be in about four or five different passages of Scripture, and so you don't have to turn in your Bibles necessarily, although you can if you have them with you. And I encourage you to bring your Bibles uh, on Sunday morning so you can uh, take notes and follow along. But we always have the verses on the screens. I want to begin by asking you this question. You just saw it through the video, but I want to ask you the, this question. Um, when, when you hear the word worship, um, what comes to your mind? And you don't have to answer out loud. Um, but what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? And there's probably, uh, you know, about 150 plus people in this room right now. I, I would uh, guess that in a room this size with 150 people or so, if we like pass a microphone around, which don't worry, we're not going to do that. Uh, but if we did, and I ask you what your like picture of worship is, we'd probably have about 150 different answers, don't you think? Uh, you know, we, we all have a different concept of worship, and a lot of that is because of our background, uh, where we've come from, especially uh, like in our church attendance and that sort of thing, or maybe our growing up, kind of the religious or spiritual uh, climate in our home growing up. Maybe uh, it comes from our educational background, um, but we all have different visions or pictures of what this idea of worship is, and while today is not an extensive study in worship, I mean, we could do a whole series on that, and I, I bet we will at some point in time. Um, this is just, the, I, I want to get across to you uh, the idea that most of what we think of as of worship, even if what we think of like came from our church background or came from a spiritual background, um, is probably not what Jesus was looking for when he talked about worship. And it's probably not like the, the spirit of what's contained in God's word when it comes to worship. Uh, we're, we're all over the place on this. If you came from a, maybe a traditional background, like maybe what you think of as one thing, if you came uh, from a, you know, more of a casual background like we are in here, maybe one thing. Uh, for some of you, worship is Sunday morning, right? Worship is Sunday morning. For some of you, um, you know, worship is 
something. It's, it's like a sport or a team or a hobby golf. Um, or uh, that was for me, not for you. Okay, I'm sorry. I just said that. I can't believe I said that out loud. But anyway, uh, it's like something that you're into or maybe someone that you're into. Maybe if you're a student in here, you know, it's a worship is there. You have a picture of a boy or a girl. Okay, let's just be honest this morning. It's church. We got to be honest. Maybe that's what worship is. Uh, maybe it's an ideal. Maybe it's a, a you know a political leaning. Um, we we all have maybe different ideas, and even in the context of the Christian community, I think that where we've landed is that worship means a day of the week, right? Like we come into church and, and what do we talk about? You probably heard the word four or five or six times in here already this morning. You hear the word worship. What exactly does that mean? I want to begin this morning by um, kind of uh, giving definition to this idea of worship. And by the way, you can take notes this morning. You've got a blank page to take notes, or you can go online, and the verses are found online. You can find that through your app. If you have a device in here this morning, I know you're not playing games, so that's cool. So anyway, uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, but um, this idea of worship, I think that we often get it wrong. And it's interesting because if you look at Jesus Everybody that he interacted with and everybody that Paul was writing to in most of the New Testament, um, a lot of, of the passages and even books from the New Testament are addressing the idea of worship. Because back in the New Testament, even those early Christians, some of whom actually like got to walk with Jesus and saw him and followed him, they even got it wrong. And, and so today, we want to bring definition to that, and we really want to describe what it means in the context of truly being a, a follower of Jesus and what that's going to cost and what it, what it means. And so today, I want to begin by giving definition to worship. Now, um, the, the Bible's written in two parts, okay? You can say this out loud with me because this is real easy this morning, and if you're asleep right now, maybe, maybe it'll get your brain going. The, the old part of the, the Bible is called the what? Testament. All right, you guys are with me. And the new part is called the, all right, there we go, Re, you know, Bible for Dummies 101 right there. Okay, that's great. That's okay. I'm just kidding. I'm, that was for me too. Um, but it's really, you know, it's broken up into two sections, and largely the Old Testament is written in an original language um, that many of you probably know this is, is Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people. It's written in Hebrew. And so uh, we have that as the original language, and most of the New Testament is written in um, a language that uh, a lot of you may have studied a little bit in school, Greek, all right? So a lot of our language today is based on Latin and Greek. And so we have the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, and the definition for worship is incredibly similar from the Hebrew definition to the um, new definition in Greek. And, and even our English language gives a definition to worship that's very, very similar. In fact, the Old Testament, the definition for worship literally meant this, to bow oneself down or to sink down or to become lowly. Um, and, and literally in the Old Testament, what they would often do to worship is they would actually get on the ground and, and spread their arms either out like this or by their sides. And they wanted to become so low that their forehead, they they purposely tried to get their forehead to touch the ground. And it was a posture of worship that expressed humility. And so it, it, you, you might often see um, someone that maybe does that, and that is actually a form of worship that goes back all the way um, to the, the Jews in the Old Testament where they were worshiping God and they would lie um, prostrate down on the ground before God. 
And it really literally meant to become as low as possible in a, in a posture of humility. And what that symbolized and what it represented was that we are low and God is above. And it was, it was a picture and a symbol. Well, the New Testament uh, has a word worship and it's used to designate the, cu- the custom of prostrating oneself. That means going down low and, and touching your head to the ground. It's very similar. Prostrating oneself before a king and, and touching his feet or the hem of his garment or the ground in front of him. And it was often used by the people of the first century to represent before a, a god, small g, or before a king that they deified, that they were humble and they were lying before them. And oddly enough, when you really look at the definition of worship in the English language, it's very interesting because the word comes from an old Saxon English word called worth-ship. Worth-ship. And it really means to express the worthiness of whoever you are worshiping. To express the worthiness or the worth of whoever it is that you're worshiping. And if you do a further study, you find out that the definition um, really has this idea, and it has several different definitions like many of words in our English language do, but one of them is literally to become low or, or to, um, to, have, uh, to have need of. Because when you're bowing low before someone, you're recognizing that you're low and that they are up here and that there is some need that you have of the one you're worshiping. And so it's interesting that that word worship means that. Now, do we come in here and do that? No, not often. Maybe some of you do that during a a time of worship. But I want to express to you today that what Jesus taught on worship and what Paul confirmed on worship is very different from even what I just described. It's very different from a position of posture. It's really more of a position of our hearts. And I want to take a look at several different scriptures to, to verify this and to kind of point out that, um, that worship is something that's not just done on Sunday. It's not just something that's done for the practice of tradition or ritual or kind of like an ongoing thing that we do just for the sake of doing it. It is something that we do that in our life expresses to God Almighty that we're humble and he is the one who is in charge. And it's more of an attitude of the heart, and it's more of a position of the heart than it is anything else. I love a couple of these passages uh, that uh, we see in, in, uh, in, in, in the Bible, and it's interesting because um, a lot of you may be wondering um, if worship is something that's an attitude of the heart, um, and it's something that we should do with our lives, then why Sunday? Have you ever wondered why in the world we come together on Sunday morning to worship? I mean... Like from a marketing perspective, if we did this like in the afternoon, there'd probably be twice as many people, right? So why on Sunday is that our day of worship? Well, in the Jewish tradition, it was Saturday. It was Friday from sundown to Saturday. And Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And so partly it's because of the resurrection of Christ. The early Christians wanted to give honor to the fact that Jesus rose on the third day on Sunday morning. And so that's part of it. But it also became the time when the early Christians would gather in the temple Um, You see, here's the interesting thing. The early Christians actually came together in their homes. Acts 1, or excuse me, Acts 2, 42 through 47, talks about it, how they came together in their homes. But then they worshiped in the temple. They worshiped in the same place that the Jewish people worshiped. And so Sunday morning was the time that they did that. 
And so that was kind of a second reason, just because they could be there. And, and a lot of times it was a place that they could meet until the tension rose between the Christians and Jews. And then they had to find their own place of worship. Paul instructed the first Christians um, to gather an offering. See, I'm not the only one that says it every week in and out, okay? All right? If you're mad about that, be mad at the Apostle Paul from 2,000 plus years ago, okay? Um, uh, like, that was the time that they would gather together the offering for uh, the, the people who were working and the people who were in need. And so Sunday became a traditional day of worship. But the Bible, the New Testament actually kind of says that, that we really aren't obligated to that kind of law anymore. And we see this in a couple passages. Check this out. John 4, 16 through 26. I, I, I love this. Um, Jesus is, is, has this encounter with the woman at the well. Do you remember this story, many of you? The woman at the well, and um, he goes through a process of explaining that he's the living water. He's the water uh, that will last. He's the one that won't run out. And, and uh, all of a sudden, there's this really interesting encounter towards the end of that story. Check this out in verse 16. It should be on the screen here. John 4, 16. Jesus said to this woman, um, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right. Uh, I, I have no husband, and saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, uh, and the one that you are now have is not your husband. Wow, that's an interesting, awkward encounter at the well. Um, what you have said is true. And the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers, what's that next word? Worshipped. Okay, so she brings it up. She brings the subject of worship up. They worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship and Jesus said to her this, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, he says, when the true worshiper, that's where we get that term from, you may hear that often, will worship the Father in, you can say it, spirit and in truth. You will worship in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then he goes on to repeat that same thing. And I believe that what Jesus is saying here is that we, we worship in spirit and in truth is, is that we worship both with um, who we are in our hearts and with our heads, the truth of God's word and what is in our hearts. It's not necessarily what he's telling this, this uh, Samaritan woman there at the well um, who's already come a long way in her faith walk in the few minutes that she's been talking to Jesus. He's essentially saying is what you have known before is not any longer. And he is essentially asking her, because he eventually says, go you know, and sin no more. He, uh, he essentially is asking her to come and worship him in a place of authenticity, purity. Not perfection, but purity. And so that's part of the reason he asks her to go and sin no more is because his desire, his desire is for her to worship with clean hands and a pure heart. And so Jesus really is more interested in our heart than he is about the traditions of worship. In John chapter 2, just a few, uh, two chapters before, um, it's the, the Passover time, which actually today is the celebration of Passover. Isn't that awesome? 
And so we're doing, we're meeting today that is the beginning of Passover for the Jewish people or this weekend. So the Passover of the Jews, check this out in John chapter 2, verses 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling ox and sheep and pigeon, uh, pigeons, excuse me, oxen. I didn't say the plural of that for those of you who are English majors. I apologize. As sheep and pigeon and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured over the coins of, of money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeon, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what signs do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of the body. Okay, And Jesus, in that moment, even though he... He, he took those money changers out of the temple, and it's a very famous, um, you know, kind of well-known picture of what Jesus is doing. He's purifying the temple. But you know what he was also saying in that moment? I want you to hear this. Is that no longer does the Spirit of God reside in a temple, but now, for those of us who are in this room today in 2016, if, we call, if we're Christ followers, if we believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God resides where? In us. We become the temple of God. We become his dwelling place. And so worship then doesn't become about a posture or a day or a place or a thing. It becomes more about how you and I live our lives. And that's what it means to be a follower. And so Jesus turned the idea of worship completely on its head. In fact, uh, probably in one of the most poignant uh, uh, passages um, in Matthew chapter 15, here's what Jesus says. I love this. The Pharisees are coming and his disciples are asking him about this, this whole concept. And he says this in verse 2, why do your disciples, this is the Pharisees, um, blaming the disciples for breaking the Sabbath, which was their day of worship, um, and he says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he gathered them and he said, and why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> I love how Jesus answered things with such witty and pithy questions. He always came back at him. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother, uh, father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have gained for me uh, is given to God? He need not, his, uh, not honor his father for the sake of your tradition. You have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is for me? In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus was essentially telling these Pharisees that it is not about the temple. It's not about the day of the week in this particular case. It is about the what? The heart. It's about the heart. And so I believe that Jesus' teaching, combined with what those early Christians um, did in terms of worship, completely redefined the term worship as they knew it and also as you and I know it. Paul really confirms what Jesus taught in Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
when he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Worship. Your spiritual worship. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that by testing you may discern what the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect and Paul essentially was writing to the Romans saying that your worship is about how you live your lives this morning I said I've got a special guest that I'm asking to come up and help me with this and so I'm going to ask Cynthia now Cynthia is my wife that's why she has a last name Cullen so anyway Cynthia and I've been married 21 years this summer and uh, Cynthia why don't you give it up for Cynthia But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this about everything that I've just said for a moment. And a lot of you ask this question every Sunday. Um, I know she does sometimes on Sunday. So what, Todd? So what, all right? We ask that question a lot, don't we? So what? What does it all mean? And so today, to kind of give handles on this idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in worship, I've asked Cynthia to help me. And we've given you four points this morning. So if you guys are, um, want to write these down on that uh, blank uh, sheet of notes that we included there in your worship folder, you can do that. The first one, to follow Jesus in worship, really means that you and I must abandon a commitment to a specific ritual that is needed to worship Jesus. Abandon a commitment to a specific ritual that we think is needed to worship Jesus. Um, in overturning the tables and um, standing up for his disciples, um, Jesus emphasized that no longer is there the need for law or rules or rituals. And we see all throughout the New Testament that there is freedom in worship. But so often we kind of get attached to rituals or traditions or things that we've done over the years um, and, and we begin to worship them and not the one who deserves worship. So many times in church, music has gotten confused with worship, right? And we use it interchangeably. I enjoyed worship today, which means you enjoyed the music. With the, does that make sense? But music is just a vehicle by which we worship God. And in the early churches, that was something that they did, praying together, breaking bread, food. Listen, there's more talk about them eating together than singing, and I'm all for that. <laughs> So potluck like every that. Sunday, let's bring it. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was about the fellowship. It was about being together. So music and kind of in the church world, the worship leader or that title uh, in, our, in our church um, is the person responsible to lead you in worship of Jesus. And at this church, we have five, six of us that do that. And um, we meet together um, as a team and pray through uh, things and pray through what God's teaching us as, first of all, as Christ followers, but also what God's speaking to us as leaders here in our church. And so sometimes we confuse music and worship, and, and we just need to realize that everything that we do is an act of worship. Um, so coming in this morning and bringing your tithes and offerings, as, as Todd mentioned, that's an act of worship. You participating, you know, sometimes I'll say, Thank you for participating in worship instead of spectating and just kind of watching what's going on, but actively doing that and participating. Um, the ritualistic side of that is that sometimes the tradition or what we're accustomed to in our worship um, has a tendency to be what we fixate or focus on. And in the 
20 some mm, years that I've been doing this. <laughs> I'm just kind of glad, yeah, glad she to said that. said 20 something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen so many traditions and rituals change in, in how we come into our corporate worship environment. But one thing that I was mentored in and taught was the fact that no element of what we do should ever be the thing I have to have. Um, and I got to tell you, this is a, a wonderful congregation and, and people that come from all different denominations and different backgrounds, some of none. And in all the years I've served, you are such a blessing to me as a worship leader because of your encouragement and how much you speak of the worship here being about you, about what God's doing in you and through you during the worship. So I just wanted to say thank you for that mm. because some of the journey I've been on and some of us that have done this for a while it was kind of like walking out every day and hearing, you know, you didn't sing a hymn, so I couldn't worship God. Okay. Um, or I need a piano to worship God. Or, you know, I just have to have drums to worship God. And, and I just appreciate that in this, in this congregation that that's been something that from day one we've really tried to make this a place where you can worship God where you are and it not be about who's up here or not. And, um, but just to kind of do a little check and balance in your own life. Maybe you sometimes come on Sunday and, you know, I really wish that, you know, and those are great, and traditions and rituals are great. I don't want to yes. say that we should never have those as long as they connect you to the person of Jesus. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Not necessarily to a process or a ritual, but as long as those things connect you to the person of Jesus, mm. they are, can be actively a mm. part of worship. Yeah, it was the cross in, in my own growing up, and I've mentioned this before, and actually somebody who was here last week um, went and I, I should have brought it up. Uh, went and found that uh, cross in my church growing up because that cross had spiritual significance. Um, I just have to be careful in my life, and we all have to be careful not to worship the thing rather than the one who died for us and gave us eternal life. So it's great, Cynthia. Yep. Um, the other thing, too, this is a second point, and all of these are located on the message notes online if you want to go back and review these, is that. You know, we have to remove any barriers in our hearts and minds that prevent us from authentically worshiping Jesus. You know, one of the things we talk about is a worship team standing in front of you, and it's just 36 inches. You realize that? That's all that is. It's not a big deal. It's just a stage so you can see us. Um, but there's no difference with anyone up here as well as for you in the seat, that if there's anything you're coming into worship with that's a barrier between you and the Lord, you really need to feel like this is a place where you can let that go and experience kind of that freedom in that. But I'd really encourage you to take it a step further for those of you that really want to follow Jesus. Is don't let it build up during the week. You know, every day have a time where you can just check that with the Lord in your quiet time and your Bible study and say, guys, is there anything in my life that's kind of between you and me? You know, we talk about this and doing this in our, in our marriages and with our children, but man, the most important relationship is there with you and the Lord. And your worship, your corporate worship on Sunday will be so much more rich and fulfilling mm -hmm. when you walk on this campus and walk in these doors knowing that you've been right with the Lord mm -hmm. and you've had that time. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get real real. Like Saturday night at our house is pretty bad sometimes. And then I have to drive here on 630, and, and I'm not kidding, right down 278, I'm driving. Oh, dear God, forgive me that I just yelled at Todd. <laughs> You it's can laugh. Happened. It's okay. Come on, let's be real. Okay. Would you please just, you know, forgive me for my attitude. I got to get up and sing. And Okay. We're human just like you, okay? In fact, sometimes, well, 
there's, it's a little crazier because of the fact that what we're trying to do, uh, we have a little mark on our back a little bit, and the evil one doesn't like us to have that barrier removed. So I just encourage you, even as you're driving and the kids are yelling, you know, dear Jesus, down 278, <laughs> before you get here, you know, just let that happen. Because I guarantee you, when you walk in that door, I can't tell you the freedom you'll feel. Walking in, knowing you've had that conversation. But here's the other thing. Never think that you have to clean yourself up before you come here. Mm. One of the most disturbing and probably disappointing things in my life is when I hear of a Christian fellow brother or sister that I'm friends with that said, yeah, I didn't feel like coming to church because, and then names like five things they've done wrong. This is a place of forgiveness and grace always. And you never need to feel like you have to do that before you mm. come here. In fact, don't stay away from this place. Because there is such freedom and connection with your other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so desperately needed. Mm. And this is a place where you can find that and receive that. Mm. So I encourage you uh, to do that mm. in your life. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. You know, and I, I just think, I mean, how many of you have ever driven to church, whether it was this church or another church, and there was someone else in the car that y you wanted to open the door and, and <laughs> let them out, you know, okay. at 55 miles an it's hour. Okay. okay. It's happened before. All right. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and Cynthia's right that there's this tension between coming with clean hands and a pure heart, but yet, like, coming with some junk. Um, Jesus wants to receive that junk. He does. Mm -hmm. He wants to receive that. And, you know, when you come in here and you have it and you're mm -hmm. carrying it and it's in that backpack and it's heavy and it's ugly and you let him go, that's an act of worship itself. Mm -hmm. It's an act of worship itself. Thirdly, um, being a follower of Jesus means... Um, in terms of worship, that we accept that being a faithful worshiper of Jesus will not always be convenient. <laughs> um, man, you know, I, I get it. Uh, there are times when uh, it's difficult to, to get to church. Um, it's time, there's times when it's difficult to have your own time with the Lord. Um, there are times when it's difficult and when there's challenges and things come up. And I want to encourage you um, to not miss this, but here's why. Let, let me explain why. Um, even though God gives us a broad um, freedom in terms of how we worship and when we worship and all the, the ins and outs of that, it's important for you and your spiritual life to be in church with other believers on a weekly basis. It just is. It's important for you, it's important for us as your church that you exercise your gifts and are a part of the hundreds of people that make this happen week in and week out. Um, but it's also important for those people who are sitting next to you and the people that walk in these doors. And it's important that um, if you're here on a weekend, that you're here on a weekend. And, and I've always said that my expectation of your pastor, I, I get it, man, we... I, you know, there's, there's stuff happens in family, and my goodness, uh, there's a lot that happens in sports. I mean, sports, that eats it up, doesn't it, moms and dads? It eats it up. It eats the money up, too, doesn't it, moms and dads? I, we, we are starting to experience that. But make a commitment that when you're in town, whether you live here or whether you're a part of a church somewhere else in Ohio, I'm sure, uh, that you are there when you're there. That's my encouragement and my challenge to you. But not because you have to check it off a list, not because it's a tradition or a ritual, as Cynthia mentioned, but because it's good for you and it's good for us and it's good for the people that you interact with. It's important that you do that, even when it's not convenient. It's hard 
to feel like on a Sunday you want to come when the other six days you haven't really engaged spiritually? Have, has anyone else found that? Mm. Like sometimes when you don't have time with the mm. Lord for six days, Sunday rolls around. Oh, it's so much easier to go. Yeah, let's just go to brunch. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, and so that's why the whole concept of 24-7 worship is, is what Jesus kind of turned it, you know, turn the tables on that because it wasn't any longer about a day of the week. It wasn't about going to a place and kind of doing what you want the other six days. It is 24-7, that lifestyle of being fully present with God in and what you do. It's why we want you to be in a life group and a Bible study. It's why we want you to connect with others outside of Sunday morning because you need that. We all need that. I love my group on Wednesdays, and we have food, by the way. <laughs> Yes, yes, there's a theme. Um, but I love our group, and I've missed our group the last couple of weeks because we've had vacations. But, like, I look forward to meeting with those women and seeing what God's doing in their, in their life. So you being in a life group or a Bible study is not another task that we want you to check off. We want it to be something you long for because you need that connection with other men, women, couples yeah. to help you in your journey. Yeah. I'm going to be frank with you. If you're not, because you're truly trying to follow Jesus with your life, and the only time you engage with God is Sunday morning. You are going to really struggle to follow Jesus. Yeah. If that's it, if that's all you're doing is coming here. Yeah. Because it's going to be very difficult to follow Jesus the way he set this up for us yeah. to be 24-7 worshipers. Yeah. I love saying this statement. It says, true worship does not happen because you're supposed to do it. Yeah. It happens when it comes from a heart that is longing for it. You know, and in that verse in Mark that you read, Jesus is kind of calling it out going like you can show up physically all day long, but your you know, your heart is far from me. Your body may physically be here, but maybe your heart and mind isn't. And you're going to be mad. I'm like, just stay home, man. I mean, honestly, because not for us, but for yourself, it's kind of, basically Jesus is saying it's not true worship. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of going to an event. Okay, and that may be harsh, but again, this whole series is about following Jesus. Okay, this is for those of us that have made that decision to be Christ followers. That's the next step is to recognize if you're not going to fully be present here in your heart, mind, body, and spirit, you know, understand that that's the expectation Jesus has when you come into corporate worship. Am I in trouble? I just no, you're that. great. Just no, told people awesome. not to come to church. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to wrap it up here, the last point here. <laughs> is uh, recognize that worshiping Jesus is about him and not about us. Um, there are some great worship songs that have been written through the ages. And one of the things we talked about as a worship uh, leadership team is that we kind of walk through some things about when we plan services and when we do this together in different seasons, what we want those songs to be like. Because typically we do four, maybe five. And it's really important to us what those songs are and how they fit. And sometimes they connect specifically to the message. But there's a couple of things we really look at. Number one, this, is, this was huge. Do we, are we singing a song that uh, focuses more on how I feel about Jesus or who Jesus is and what he's done? Okay? That's a big deal to us. Because how I feel about Jesus is very personal, right? But that's not when we corporately gather. You know, we need to celebrate who he is and what he's done. And it doesn't mean that we won't sing songs about that, but we really try to filter that. Are we proclaiming who God is and what he's done? Are we proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done? And so even in your 24-7 worship of God, be careful in your times with him in the other six days that you don't get so messed up with, um, I think Gino said it, I love it, that I'm not always looking for the hand of God. I'm looking for it to be, you know, 
face to face with God. And be aware of that too. And as we sing songs, you'll notice that we sing a lot about who Jesus is, what he's done, creator God, this is what you've done for me. You can't, you know, nothing will stop your love for me. You know, these are truths, promises from his word. It's the truth that Jesus talked about. Yes, worship worship exactly. me in spirit and in truth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, passages is that Romans 12, part that talked about presenting your body as a living sacrifice. You know, Todd talked about this in April, um, the April 10 message. I love the title, Me, Me, Me. If you didn't get to hear that, go back and check that out. But about just being self-indulgent in our following of Jesus, that it's very much about us, how I feel about him, how, you know, how he does this for me, how me, me. And anytime you're filling in me all the time, that's a pretty good indication that you're having, you know, more of a self-indulgent kind of lifestyle with being a follower of Jesus and not necessarily about him. And uh, just to wrap up, one of my favorite teachers, worship leaders that I firmly believe changed the course of corporate worship about 20 years ago is a man by the name of Louis Giglio. And he said out as a pastor, as a musician, he's a musician and a songwriter, to really help the church understand that we didn't need to be coming to church to do something we needed to come to church to worship God, mm. okay? And worship is a verb. It's not a passive thing, but this is his definition, and this is by far my favorite definition of worship. And he says this, worship is our response, both personal, the other six days, and corporate, to who God is and what he's done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. And I'm going to say that again. Worship is... Our response, okay? That's the action. Our response, both personal, six days, the other six days, corporate, what we're doing here, to who God is and what he's done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. And that defines it. And as we're going to be followers of Jesus, our worship has to have a 24-7 approach. You know, our action item for you is to ask, that, ask yourself that question. Is my worship of Jesus more about me? Or is it truly about him? And, you know, don't worry about what you did last week. Start today to say, you know what? I'm starting today. I'm not going to let my worship be all about me or what I need. I'm going to let it be about him. And start in this moment today saying, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus that pursues him, worships him 24-7, expressed in and by the things I say and the way I live my life. And that would be our encouragement for you today. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we know and uh, we acknowledge that we really fail at this a lot. God, I, I'm very overwhelmed at the responsibility I have as the lead worship leader of all of these other worship leaders. And God, I miss the mark on this so much. And I get so obsessed about so many different things that really just don't matter. And so even myself this morning, I just come before you. And I just confess that I truly desire in my heart and mind for you, Jesus, for you to be the center of all I do. And God, I pray that over every single person within the sound of my voice this morning, that we would truly understand what it means to be a worshiper 24-7, God. That we would place you at the center of our lives and everything we say and everything we do. And that from this moment on, we would not just be content with showing up on Sunday for an hour and going home and living our life and doing what we do. But God, that we would truly embrace a 24-7 approach to being a worshiper of you this morning. And so, God, we just pray you would receive that. I pray our hearts would be stirred to walk out of this place today with a new heart and a new mind toward being the worshiper that you've called us to be. 
And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand this morning. And uh, Gino and I are going to lead you in a song that we started singing, I guess, when Gino, you started coming lean worship here. And I just love this song because it's simple. It just points you to the fact that Jesus is the center of all we do. So just sing along with us. If you want to kneel, if you want to walk over to the cross and pray, whatever posture you want to get into, feel free to do that this morning as we worship. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end. It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, and nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Now, Jesus, you're the center. At the center of it all, at the center of it all, Jesus be the center of my life, Jesus be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, and nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Oh, Jesus, you're the same. At the center of it all, at the center of it all, sing it out from my heart to the heavens. Jesus, be the center, it's all about you. Yes, it's all about. Oh! 
So Jesus be the center of your church Jesus be the center of your church Lift your voice And every knee will bow Every time shall I confess you, Jesus. Let it ring in your heart. Yes. Jesus. Yes, Lord.